Hello and welcome to episode 25 of We Have Such Films to Show You. It's our anniversary. Me and Yakov got podcast married a year ago, about-ish today. Uh, how are you feeling about that? Is the, is the love still there, Yakov? I want a divorce. Oh. Well, that's our show. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> no, a year. How exciting. We've been doing this for a, yeah, a whole dang crazy. year. That's that's a that's a serious longevity for for a project I'm involved in for sure. Yeah, um, I, I I mean I've had like that blog that I no longer update as of a while from now, um, and I've been DMing. But other than that, yeah, this is basically one of the longest time things I've ever kept up a consistent project. This is basically all you have in your life, right? This is this is the bare shred of meaning. You know, I I was tethered to this. I, I was at um, dinner. Um, a friend of mine just moved back to New York. We grew up together, um, and uh, so we were having dinner because it was also his birthday. And like you know, I saw some people that I haven't seen since like high school because um, you know I never I never hung out with them unless it was with him and he moved, so I never saw them anyway. And so one of them was just like, "Hey, I, you know, I haven't seen you in like ten, fifteen years. What have you been up to?" I'm just like, "Oh, you know, I've got a uh, a dog, a podcast, and a wife." And I'm just like, "Wait, wait, wrong order, <laughs> wrong order." <laughs> Well, but was so, that order of acquisition though? When did you get the dog? No, uh, uh, hmm. it would be yeah, it would be dog podcast. So, so that's right? fair. That's fair. Yeah, it's chronologically correct. And there's an implied last but not least in there too. So yes, you know but what the, the, you know what the phrase "last but not least" means? It I means not. one of those earlier things was honestly kind of shitty by comparison. That's it's it's a real it's a it's a weird backhanded. Uh, uh, compliment because you're you're specifically having to position something else as oh why did I say that first this is more important fuck that thing and then that thing's like wait but I thought you yeah basically I'm saying stop being mean to your dog I love my dog <laughs> no she's terrible she's a terrible dog she barks they're known to do that they're known to do that takes up my spot in the bed yep um. What else is bad about your dog? Let's let's just really get into she it. She smells. Really <laughs> smelly dog. Her head, sometimes she smells like Doritos. One time her head smelled like cinnamon, which means she must have gotten into something that had cinnamon in it, but we don't keep anything like that in the house. So I have no idea why the dog's head smelled like cinnamon. Somebody, somebody else's dog lives in a house that has a lot of accessible cinnamon, and so once she rubbed her head in its poop. <laughs> oh, I, I'm so glad that she... Dislike. She'll like. She'll poop and then she'll run away from it. <laughs> anyway. Yep. So uh, speaking of dogs, podcast about horror movies. Yes, we're talking um, about John Carpenter's The Thing. That's oh. right. So yeah. So this week we're gonna we're gonna do the thing, which the the one that everybody knows, and then um, next fortnight we're going to do the. Uh, original version, which is the thing from another world, is is that? Yeah, it's, it's not thing from outer space. Thing from another world, right? Yeah, think the thing from another world, nineteen fifty one. And then, uh, and then we're also going to do the thing twenty eleven, which is. Um, I mean, I think it's a straight up prequel. It's not like a remake prequel, right? I don't know. I really don't know anything about it. I mean, I yeah, know I think it exists. it's just a prequel. Um, and there's a lady in it. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. Are there two ladies, or are we still Bechtel-free? Um, hmm. You know, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I, I listened to the, um, to, uh, what do you call it, to 
the audio commentary for this thing that we watched, John Carpenter's thing, they actually make a point. They were just like, yeah, you know, until this, there hadn't been a movie with no women in it whatsoever for a while. <laughs> and apparently there were no women on the crew either. Uh, there was one, but she was pregnant, so she had to leave. Aww. Um, so this was this is just all men. It, it's a very uh, it's a very manly movie. It's a yeah. it's a movie that really takes its manliness. Uh, it's like a it's a spectrum of of manhood. You know, it's a real palette of like you know trying to like from manly to somewhat less manly to old manly to really manly to Norwegian manly. And then there, Wilford Brimley's in this, and he's just you know. He's apart from it in his entirety. He is just his own man. He, he's very Wilfred Riddle. But, but I mean, I, I, think, I think there's something to be said. He has his sort of, you know, freak-out moment in the film. Yeah, but it's a true. really well-motivated freak-out yeah. is the thing. And, you know, obviously the rest of the, the, the people on the team aren't necessarily in the same headspace as him on that front. But, uh, but yeah, he, he, he freaks out specifically because he's like, oh, I've got to do the hard thing and I've got to doom us all because that's the way we keep you know, the world from being destroyed, which is that's a pretty good argument. And so trying to take down the entire infrastructure of your base and kill everybody with an axe is, is, is a pretty manly, manly move for uh, Wilford Brimley. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've read that he doesn't act. That's just Wilford he, Brimley. He just, when you see Wilford Brimley on screen, that, that's Wilford Brimley. That's, that, that's it. That's him. I can buy it. He, and he, he, he always seems an awful lot like Wilfred Brimley. So. Yeah. I've never actually seen any of his cowboy movies. Have you seen any of his cowboy movies? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of one or two, but, but not really. He's, he's really mostly Quaker Oats for me. Yeah, that's, that's, and diabetes. Yes, yes. The two almost go hand in hand, though. Do, do Quaker Oats give you diabetes? Yes, that's, that's what I'm going for there. I, I it is I've never I don't think have I ever had oatmeal? I think I had it once. Seriously? Yeah. Really? That's weird. That's weird to me. Maybe twice. It was like a staple food in my in my upbringing and Yeah, I grew still. up eating farina. See, I don't even I, I know of farina, but I don't really know what farina is. It's 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 like a porridge. Man, we're really getting off with this. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yep, and I've got a, I've got a stuffy nose too. I had a cold like last week, and and I'm better from it, except uh, some dumb, you know, head phlegmy stuff, and it's really driving me crazy because I'm trying not to make a horrible phlegmy series of noises on the uh, on the podcast. But I feel like I'm just going to need to give myself one good nose blow here, uh, and I'll turn away from the mic. But I just want everybody to be prepared that I'm just I'm just going at it. I'm going to make it happen because then I think we'll be okay for a while. So. So, so, so give us your thoughts on something while I blow my nose. Or you could sing a little nose-blowing song. I think this is going to be a... Uh... There we go. I... I... No. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious about this. <laughs> I, I'm just... I, I want the people to hear this. This is wonderful. This is you. You know, it's like the it's it's the the sound effect um, in the thing when when it when it screams. This is what I'm thinking is happening. Like Josh is just opening his mouth, and this sound is coming out. Um. So John Carpenter's the thing. If um. Kurt Russell, a uh, very ladies' haircut. That that is a ladies' haircut in this movie. Um. He has some. He has some serious locks. Some yeah, serious flowing locks. Uh, but, but 
But I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say like ladylike. I mean, it's just it's it's long. It's long hair. It's, it, it's, it looks. It's it's, it, it's it's like two steps away from being straight up feathered. Yeah, it, no, it's a, it's, it's a serious piece of. Which which I want to know how long has he been there? Is someone a, a good barber? Is there a stylist down in the uh, one of the more remote bits of Antarctic research centers? Or you know, well, so it's it, it's one of those things where um you know uh, if if you the listener has never read uh, that something awful uh, article on working in Antarctica, you absolutely should. Like regardless of whether or not you watch or like the thing. Uh, that article is really good, but yeah, apparently so. Just people go down there and they take whatever job is available. You know, you don't, you don't like. It's, it, it, it's rare that a person would um, have like a job in mind when they go down to you know Antarctica to you know like Palmer Base or something um, or McMurdo. Uh, but more that they show up and then they get a job. So in that uh, something awful article in Antarctica, apparently like one of the people that worked there before they came to Antarctica, they used to be a pastry chef. So every night they would have like this spread of pastries because, you know, there's not a lot to do up there when you're not, you know, researching. So, you know, this person would just be constantly cooking pastries. So I think maybe Wilford Brimley's character was originally a, a, a stylist before he became a biologist. I'll buy that. Or buy perhaps that. Childs. We, we never find out what it is that Childs, Childs does up there. Childs could have been a really serious stylist. He could have been like had the most look. intense hairdresser you've ever met. I, I, I think we should go with that theory. I think that's and, and that's why the two of them have a little bit of a nervous tension because, like, as mm-hmm. things escalate, they both know that Kurt's thinking, "Who's going to do my hair if this goes yep. the wrong way?" If he's if he's the thing, you know, can I even let him live until he can can do my hair again? In and fact, then- okay, yeah, yeah. So here we go. The, the the final line of the film, it's the two of them facing off in you know slowly starting to freeze in the burning wreckage of the camp. And one of them says, what do we do? And the other one says, why don't we just wait here a little while, see what happens. I'm going to say yeah. there was an original opening scene of this film that that's a parallelism to where Childs is cutting Kurt's hair and, and Childs is looking at him and saying, okay, well, what are we going to do today? And Max says, I don't know. Why don't we just see what happens? And so then it was bringing back around, right? But then they had to cut that because uh, time and and so we lose that nice book ending of the film that uh yeah. more about their characters. At least that's what's going to happen in my uh, you know, post uh a- after the fact novelization of of the film as a story of two men and their friendship and their hair. Their hair friendship. There yes, their That should have been a better portmanteau, their, their, but it their, wasn't. <laughs> Their hairship, their, there's got to be something we can do with that. We'll think on that. Yeah. Um, Child's were they smoking weed down there? Um, they, were, they were definitely like smoking weed in the Antarctic base, right? Yeah. There, there, there was a, at least a, at some point someone handed someone a joint. Yeah. And then, um, what's his name? The, uh, the weird guy was always smoking it. Like, I mean, there's so many dudes in this movie, and they're <laughs> the they're, weird they're guy. Yeah, Palmer, the, the 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 oddball guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was because uh, when he was introduced, he was he was smoking like a roach, and then at some other point, I think him and roller skates were sharing one. Um, and yeah, let's just give everybody nicknames because there's no way in hell I'm going to remember anybody's name except McCready and Childs. Um, and then there's Wilford Brimley. Yep. 
there's redheaded guy. Um, there's heart attacky. There's um, roller skates, sunglasses. Um, other doctor that isn't Wilford Brimley. Sunglasses, aka hide from that '70s show. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, actor is actually named Tom Waits. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. And the sheriff. Yes, the, the sheriff. sheriff. Yeah, I know he's not a sheriff, but he's clearly the sheriff. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a few other guys. Uh, glasses guy, regular glasses guy that just sort of disappears out <laughs> in the woods. It's, yeah, it's, I have no idea how... It's, like, it's, even, it's a tricky, it's a big ensemble of characters who, yeah. Are virtually interchangeable, save for like three of them. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll muddle our mm-hmm. way through that, but... But uh, yeah, it is, it is a tricky thing. Um, I, I, so, had, yeah, I, I did say that the opening of this film, I, I hadn't seen this in a while. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I know I watched this, uh, but I know it was years ago too. And I had forgotten that the film actually opened with a shot of a, a drunkenly careening UFO. Yeah. Like I, I was like, oh wait, they're really like, like obviously it's a thing, probably a thing from another world. But I didn't remember the setup, and the setup just straight up is: oh, here's a UFO flying badly near Earth. It probably crashes, and that's probably how this all starts. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's that's sort of getting right on the nose. Uh, but it's interesting because then we don't really get a whole lot of alien stuff later, other than just the creature itself. I mean, there is the UFO. Uh, the Norwegians dug up the UFO and implicitly dug up. Uh, a block of ice that had a evacuated passenger of said UFO. But even that's not really sold super hard. I mean, we, we see no. them for a couple minutes at the UFO site, uh, but there's no peeking inside the ship. There's no exploring any of it. There's not really any discussion of it aside from the really immediate sort of epidemiology situation of the creature that they're worried about, uh, which I thought was kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. Nobody's particularly curious. Um, uh, about it, they just they just want to know how to get it out, get it away, kill it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, which which is you know kind of uh, pretty realistic. Like I mean, at some point, you know, like one of the guys says, it's like you know uh, when they're when they find the uh, the man thing from uh, the Norwegian base, it's like you know it's going to be somebody's Nobel Prize, but it's clearly not anybody there. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you know, Wilford Brimley like takes the thing apart and he's like pulling all those organs out, but he's like I. Just, it's what it looks like. It looks normal. I don't know. So, you know, even with their high tech computers, one of which that McCready destroyed for no good reason, (laughs) because he thought it was cheating. Yep. Um, That's actually, wait, I I think it was just because he's a misogynist. Yeah. I mean, the the movie opens like the opening line of the movie is you cheating bitch, uh, which is, you know, Hey, (laughs) yeah. Just like, let's, let's get, into a bad dynamic with a chess yeah. computer with really good speech synthesis, it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, all of those computers, like, for... And, and like, the, the, the output on Wilford Wolf, Brimley's computer is really verbose. It's just, like, you know, chance, it's, like, it's not just, like, you know, chances underscore... Or it's, like, you know, it's, like, crew underscore... Uh, percentage with no vowels in it equals 75. It's, like, no, it's chances that one of the crew is infected 
And then it drops and like it you know lines up nicely in the middle 75 percent yeah that, that that really jumped out as a, as a it's one of those things where like well it's an interesting thing because how do you handle this they they're, they're they're setting up what is a good important part of it and mm-hmm. I, I, i'm glad that the film has a character just really aggressively assess the situation and proceed accordingly and you know the assessment is okay well we've got some sort of horrible alien creature that mimics people and kills them to you know, take them over and try and expand. If this thing gets to civilization, it could essentially destroy humanity. I think that's that's that, that, that's a fair sort of assessment to make and be really, really, really worried about the situation. And you know, basically, you want to do the equivalent of nuking the site from orbit, even if you're on the site. But uh, but the fact that they ended up communicating that with yes, this implausibly you know clean, uh, bold font computer. Uh, output instead of like yeah. finding some other way to because I mean how else do you do it we we can't you know the, the film's in a position where it's decided it can't have Wilford Brimley having a conversation about this with someone he clearly decides he needs to take action without discussing it so so yeah what's he going to do mumble these numbers to himself that kind of sucks too but it, there's there's something very specific about that that particular move in movies to use a completely ridiculous computer display to communicate key knowledge because there wasn't a more obvious way to do it. Mumbled exposition. I feel like there's a whole, there's some material to mine there from that, that, that sort of era. And certainly not just yeah. that area. I mean, we still have dumb computer interfaces today, but it's changed a little bit. It's gotten, you know, a little bit more nuanced. I feel overall at this point compared to 30 years ago. Yeah, I mean the uh, the animation with like the cells going around. I thought that was <laughs> it, it, it works, but it's also now hilarious. Like I have no idea how it would have looked like back then. Um, you know, I, I I can't even tell if it's just like if that looked like high tech, like you know, like you know. There's a very good chance that, you know, like back when this was shot, that base was like high fucking tech. That was like a James Bond sort of thing. I doubt it, but, you know, there's a, there's yeah. a chance. So there's a chance that those computers are like top of the line. You know, it's the equivalent of like, you know, somebody in like a, a movie today whipping out like one of those uh, tablet computers that's also somewhat transparent and projects holograms. Yeah. You know, it could very well be that. It's like, oh, look, not only do we have text, we could have an animation of three cells moving and changing colors between there was there was at least three colors there there yeah. was gray and blue and red <laughs> well was, you know what it looked, like to me was like, it looked like a a not super great but maybe of the time animation they would show up on like an educational film like a 16 yeah. millimeter film at school and and here's these amazing computer graphics of cell assimil- assimilation you know it's like but yeah the the, the, the idea that Brimley would have wasted time putting together all the spit and polish on this thing just to show himself that he should go attack the, you know, the, the crawler and the computers. Well, maybe he's like a visual learner. Like, you know, he'll read, you know, the, the cells of the thing take over the cells of, you know, the, the, the host organism and, and, uh, what do you call it? Camouflage themselves. And he's just like, I don't quite understand. I need a, picture and then there's a picture of like a red boomerang hitting a uh, hitting a blue balloon and then the blue balloon turns <laughs> into a red balloon and then back into a blue balloon and he's like my it's god like, eureka um i you know what speaking of that the, the the crashing ufo i really like the tiny ufo that they find in the basement <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't it's know if adorable. we were supposed to take it seriously or not, but like, yeah, the fact that he's building a UFO 
underneath the tool shack. And is, has he has he just been doing that since they locked him in that tool shack? That's I think some fast work. So, well, I mean, you know, he's only Wilford Brimley for as long as they, he needs to be Wilford Brimley. The rest of the time, he might as well be like, you know, maybe at some point the thing absorbed a species of, of drill creatures, and so he just turns into a giant <laughs> drill and burrows down there. Maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, to- I don't totally understand what the timeline is supposed to be on that because it, it is a bit. Yeah, confusing. the timeline gets really confusing. I mean, as far as I can tell, it takes place over maybe like five days at most. Yeah, something like that. Just, just a real short series of days. Yeah, because none of them sleep, so it has to take place. Um, you know, it's implied that none of them actually sleep at any point. Yeah. Except, I guess, Wolfer Brimley, but he doesn't need to sleep because he's the thing. Yes. Well, he's um, eventually the thing is the thing, because like, he's clearly not the thing earlier on, because he's specifically trying to sabotage the camp to prevent the thing from Or is he out. trying to sabotage the camp to prevent anybody? Oh, no, wait, no, the thing wants to get out. Yeah, the thing. So, yeah, I guess the thing got him later. Yeah, like sometime after they lock him in the shack, the thing must have gotten to him, and yeah. then and then he burrows out a hole and starts sneaking out and collecting pieces to, uh, yeah. to put together you know, a that, that's one of the things I actually really like about them leaving very vague is how the thing makes other things the thing. Like, you know, we, we, we get a couple of shots where it just like throws its tentacles onto something and then kind of eats it maybe, or, you know, does something to it. And then we get that other shot of, I think, Benning when he's like, you know, tied to the chair and all those tentacles are slapping around him. I'm making arm yeah. motions. Um, so, but yeah, we never actually see what happens there, so it's really just left up, up to your imagination, which is good, because I don't think, I, I can't imagine anything would look better than, you know, like, what I can sort of picture it in my head almost happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was, yeah, but oh man, the, the effects in this movie are amazing. It's really great, and yeah, yeah, almost, almost everything is done as sort of an effects montage, Mm-hmm. Uh, some some of which are better than others, but all, all in all, I really liked it. It's like it, it's great. Yeah, they had two different effects companies working, at least two. Um, so that that's yeah, they had at least two effects companies working on it, and then there was, you know, there was the there's apparently like there there was the tentacle effects, and then there was the the statues, which are just you know statues. They're yeah. they're the models. Um. And I think that was, yeah, and then there was just, like, the moving shit, that, yeah. and that was, you know, the mostly puppets. Um, but, yeah, no, this movie, the first time I saw it, it was, it made me really, really, really um, have more fondness for practical effects than I did, just because there's, you know, nothing, there, there, there's no computers in this movie, you know, there, well, there is a computer, there's <laughs> chess. Was, yeah. <laughs> There's, there's Wilford's um, and there's the chess computer. One of them is yeah, murdered. That's, well, I guess yeah, the other one's probably it. blown up eventually, too. Yeah. But yeah, no, like, all of the explosions are, are, are actual explosions. All of the, um, what do you call it? All of the monsters are, are, are big rubber monsters. They might not have, some of them weren't in the scene, apparently. But um, they were all, you know, big rubber, silicon, goopy monsters. They don't look, you know, the, the way... It, like like the uh, the man thing, like the split headed man thing, it looked a little like like what it was, which was a crazy ass looking statue dummy thing. Yeah. But even that looked really good because it didn't look fake. There was actually like a big fucking gross ass prop there, and you know no matter how well, I mean not no matter how, but like you know you you got to fuck up a lot more on a prop than you do with CGI to just like completely lose the suspension of disbelief. Yep. 
yeah, with, with, with a good sculptor and, and uh, just a little bit of thought about uh, how you're going to frame and shoot something, you can get a lot of mileage out yeah. of this physical prop just because someone is a decent sculptor and someone knows how to slop on goop and someone knows how to point a camera at it. With CGI, you kind of have to cross a bunch of bars just to get out of conspicuous shittiness, even if you've got some of the pieces right, which is... And it's an interesting thing, because I'm kind of curious to see what they do in the 2011 one uh, next episode, uh, <laughs> because they will totally have had access to contemporary computer effects. And, and the question is... Um, I mean, there's both the question of whether... You know, did they screw up the CGI? I'm kind of assuming that they didn't because it seems like at this point, if there's any kind of money out of production, you get the CGI okay. Uh, but but also, do they get a lot more explicit about some of these things? Because the, the the montage, let's go from one, you know, practical effects, you know, setup prop thing to another, and just leave the transition implied because we don't have the transition or we don't have the budget to have the transition. Uh, it works really well in this film. And it seems like if you have the CGI to mm-hmm. conceive the whole thing, you might do it more as a whole continuous thing. And I don't know that, 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 that could be awesome looking. It could be sort of disappointing. Cause, cause like you say, your imagination, uh, when I don't know how we get from point A to point B in this horrific sequence, my brain's going to sort of just vague it up in a terrifying way. Right. If someone else does a good job of conceiving a good-looking CGI sequence that's continuous. It may look great, but still just kind of like, oh, okay, so it gets sort of absorbed, and then that's now now we're at point B. Okay. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that's going to come off by comparison. But, yeah, I, I just I, – I, the effects are a huge, huge star of this movie, and it's, yeah. it's that really great – it's kind of the same thing as, you know – uh, we both really like the practical effects in the the early Hellraiser movies, yeah, especially. Yeah, uh, they were very well done. That whole transition sequence mm-hmm. with uh, Frank coming back to life through the backward shot effects of things undripping and whatnot up in the attic. Yeah, and, and this really reminded me of that of uh, the same sort of spirit of like let's get some let's figure out some way to do this goopy silly mess and make it look really gross and 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 cut from piece to piece. And yeah, it was really just a a lot of fun to sort of see all the things they did. Because like I said, a couple of the shots I felt were kind of not so great. At one point, uh, I, I think Splithead Guy, there was a part of that transition uh, where it looked like, as much as anything, a, a cheap recreation of the face-melting bit from the end of uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it was like um, it was like one second, and it was part of the montage. It was like you know, step three in a five-step process. And I remember looking at things like, well, that one looks kind of cheap. But then they moved on to the next effect, which was different. It was like, oh, okay, I'm back on board, you know. Yeah, there was um, just trying to think. I mean, you know, might as well just run through the effects shots. Um, I think the first, the first big one is the dog, right? And the dog starts flipping out after they lock it in with the other dogs. Yeah, they lock the dog in yeah. with all the other huskies, and all the mm-hmm. other huskies are not really reacting, and it's just sitting there looking slightly creepy. And then it starts, all the other dogs notice and start growling and whatnot, and its head just splits open, and there's... And then, yeah, tentacles come out of it, and the head splits open into, like, a flower thing, and... Yeah. Yeah, that was... That was, that was and that's, like, the first you see of it, and it's, you know, there's... um. This is this is before they go investigating to the Norwegian base, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is, you know, there's um there's sort of no precedent for the kind of monster it's going to be. Um like and you know, you know they're, they're up in the woods and stuff, so you think it's going to be like, you know, some sort of like if you don't know anything about this movie, I guess you think it's going to be like some sort of, you know, hideous snow monster or something, but no, it's like the 
one of the great things is that the monster in the movie has no shape. It's, you know, the monster is, it's whatever it wants to be. Um, and, you know, part of that is the fact that it's, it could be you. And the other part of that is it could be like this grotesque thing that has to follow like no laws of, of, of biology or anything, because no matter what it looks like, it's always mimicking it. It's never actually dependent on being that thing. Yeah. You know, like when they find out with the blood, it's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter that if you try to hurt part of its blood or if, you know, you know, you attack the whole thing with an axe, it's it's you're going to get the same reaction because it's, um, you know, everything you see on it is superficial and or at least it's not necessarily superficial, but it's functional in a way that it needs it to function rather than functional in a way that it's evolved to function. You know, like if it has a. The uh, the head, you know, the, the, the crab head is a good example of it. You know, it still kind of looks like a head, but it's not working like a head anymore, and it's not even using the eyes. Yeah. Um, and yet it's still groaning, and it still looks like a head. So, yeah. Um, so, okay, so yes, yeah, so that was the first one. Then the second one was uh, the man thing, right? The split face man thing that they find? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of effects before that, um, really before even the dog, when they go to the Norwegian camp. And we just get a couple uh, good shots of dead, frozen Norwegians. Uh, one of which is there's yeah. a, a the the first one we really see. The first like gross we see in the film is a a Norwegian sitting in a chair, and they come out from behind, and and so we get a shot of like sitting there dead with uh, slashed wrists sort of hanging out on either side, with the implication maybe of having killed themselves, but I'm not really clear because their throats also torn open. I think. Um, no, no, no. So there's there's the one. So there's there's the guy like the first body that they find. He's sitting. Um, he's sitting in a chair, and it's it's really cool. It's like a, it's it's a good set piece. Um, he's sitting in a chair. His hands are splayed out in like to either side of him. There's blood coming out of his wrists downward, but it's frozen. So he's just like got these chunks of like icicle blood out of his wrists. And then the camera, um, you know, the camera comes off that and it comes up to, you know, like head level. And then you see it's almost a silhouette, but you see a giant gash in his throat. Yeah. Like it's huge. Like his head is like partially taken off, maybe like um, a third or a quarter of the way through. Like it's a big old gash. So, um that yeah. was uh it's hard to figure out exactly how that played out but yeah the um i mean i i think it's implied that he slashed his wrist and then quickly slashed his throat cuz i mean I, I don't think he'd be able to slash his throat and then slash his wrists well yeah but i i, I would you slash your throat if you'd already i mean like he cut up he, he he took big chunks out of his wrists it looked like at that point i feel like you probably I mean, I, feel like you were done it's one of those nuke the site from orbit things where, you know, if you're going to kill yourself because this thing's going to get you otherwise, you're going to make fucking sure you die. Maybe. I could buy that. It looked almost to me like it was an attack on his throat. Like maybe he sliced his wrist 10 seconds before something else decided to murder him as well. Although I couldn't figure out why that would happen either. So maybe maybe I'll just run with your theory because it seems at least more self-contained. Yeah. Uh, but well, yeah. I, <laughs> anyway, so that was really kind of like the first effect shot, come to think of it. But a, a, yeah. a, as you were, then we get the split head man thing. Yeah, the uh, you get the split head. Um, and you know what's weird when they when they get the split head guy back into the base. Why is it smoking? Did you notice that? How like they they take uh, it out of the? Um, I think the implication is maybe. It, yeah, I don't know. Like I was gonna say, maybe it was just still relatively warm, but. The the guy with his slit wrists, it was literally blood frozen down to the. So oh, you know, but they had set it on fire, 
So maybe if they had really recently, I don't know. I don't think it really makes sense. I think the timeline's just weird yeah. there. Uh, yeah. Because oh. I thought the same thing. I tried, I tried to just sort of hand wave it away for myself at the time. But yeah, it does seem weird that it would still be maintaining that much heat after sitting out in the exposure in the, you know, Antarctic for at least a day. Yeah. And well, um, probably at least a day. Um, several hours at least a day. Well, yeah, um, hmm, I wonder because they may I have mean, gone out the same day. Because uh, I mean, I I don't think it was. I mean, the thing chooses when it goes back to sleep, right? Because like all the way at the end of the movie, they're just like it's you know it's like you know it knows it can't get out now, so it probably just wants to sleep and wait for the rescue team, which sort of makes the movie a loop because they were the rescue team that showed up when it was sleeping at the Norwegian base. Yep. Um. So yeah, it was probably. I mean. Yeah, I have no idea why it would have been smoking. Like, I, they they didn't they didn't need to melt it out of anything, like the Norwegians did. Maybe it was just a natural thing that it does. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I do but not know. Um, yeah, yeah. The the thing the the ice that they got it out of. I I did, did you like that the, the the ice boat thing? I I didn't like it very much. The, the, the giant I thought it block was, of um, ice that it, yeah yeah I just like as a prop I I've never liked that prop. Well, and I just I, I, it seems like a lot of ice to take. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I I don't know anything about uh, chopping things out of the ice in the Antarctic, so maybe that is just what you do is you pull out like a six by six by twelve foot giant block of ice that weighs literally tons. But I don't know. I didn't have strong feelings about it. It was just like I was like, okay, well, there apparently there was a block of ice that they cut this thing out of it, but. It sounds yeah. like you had feelings. I didn't. Really I do. I, I and I don't know why. I think it's just because it looks like a giant like styrofoam container, which it probably is. Because <laughs> I know a lot of the ice here was real, and a lot of it wasn't. So, um, but you know what I did like though the uh, the footage of the guys like all standing around with their arms out to show you like just how big that UFO crash site is. Yeah. I thought for some reason I don't know why, but I thought that was really spooky. <laughs> um, I I I I mean I, I'm really fond of found footage, so. Um, there was uh, but, but yeah, that the, just them all standing around it was it was great. And the, I wonder if they actually went through all nine hours, or I wonder if they were like fast forwarding through any of it, yeah, or they, just like sitting there watching the Norwegian base show. It seems like it seems like you would have made a point of going through all of it because they they seem kind of dismissive. Really, ah, oh, we can't watch all this blah 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 or something. I don't remember exactly, but it's like this is. Yes, you can. You can sit down and fucking watch this stuff. For one thing, you're you're stuck in Antarctica. You're not going anywhere. And, you know, it seems like this might be a... Yeah. I feel like they um, weren't dedicated to the information gathering to the degree that they, they probably should have. No, You know, I, I keep thinking that, that maybe, like, my Prometheus theory applies to this. Where Have you seen Prometheus? No. So, it's, it's all right. I mean, maybe we should even do it on the podcast at some point. It's a pretty good horror movie. But everybody's just like, you know, everybody keeps pointing out, it's like, you know, you know, this character is supposed to be a biologist. Why is he trying to pet the snake um, or, or, or something like that? Because, like, all the characters just keep doing stupid, stupid things. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like, this is, you know, a mission to buy, like, a crazy rich person to some unknown system to look for extraterrestrial life, which, was, which isn't a thing yet. Um, and you know, you're not going to get like the best guys for this. You're going to get the guys that can't get better work. Um, so I, and, and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, slander the reputation of anybody working in an Arctic base. Um, but yeah, like maybe these aren't like, you know, they, they, 
they're almost very clearly not like the cream of the crop as far as having to deal with you know a situation goes. Yeah, these are the guys that you know want to go out into the ice to get away from from basically everything. And the in the commentary, Carpenter actually says that his original like his idea for the McCready character. I'm not gonna say original. I mean, I assume he went through with it. But like uh, McCready's backstory is basically that he's an alcoholic uh, Vietnam vet who just needed to get the hell away from civilization. Yeah. And that's why he's up there. Um, which, you know, makes sense uh, with his character and everything. And he is also constantly and heavily drinking. Um, but yeah. Pretty much everybody is, actually. I, I, I liked how, like, Mac is definitely a J&B guy. Like, yeah. it's, it's always a bottle of J&B with him. Uh, Wilford Brimley's definitely a Smirnoff vodka guy. Always got a, a, a pint bottle. And then McCready drinks a bunch of it when he leaves him there. Did you see that? Like, you know, because, <laughs> uh, you know, Br- uh, Brimley, he had that, uh, he had that thing of, um, of Smirnoff vodka when, uh, when uh, what do you call it? McCready's dropping him off and then McCready, like, takes, he doesn't take a sip. He just, like, takes a couple of guzzles and leaves him, like, a quarter pint of vodka. It's like, hey, come on. Um, Power play. Yeah, you know what? Let, let, let the guy get drunk. Let's see. Other effect shots. Uh, Bennings gets uh, ganked by the not actually totally dead corpse after all in the storeroom. And so we... Did you see it move under the blanket? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which they also name-checked at the same time someone else elsewhere was like, uh, the cells aren't all dead or something. Or maybe that was another thing that the computer wrote. I don't know. I think it was something... Oh, yeah, something you know, said. there's still cellular activity. That yeah, was the, uh, yeah. the thing. Um. So we get that nice shot. I actually really liked this, the whole thing with uh, the not-quite-finished Bennings clone. Uh, they figure out that he bailed out the window or whatever, and they chase him down in the snow, uh, and he's, he's running away, and they, they sort of get around him, and he falls to his knees, and he's got the big old hands. Like, the hands yeah. are the only thing that aren't finished that we can see, but they're really, you know, giant, horrific, uh, freaky claw hand things. And then he gives out that, completely alien open mouth sort of moan shriek thing before they set him on fire. And I thought that was, yeah. that, that, that was maybe the creepiest, I think of all the sort of alien like situations for me. Cause that yeah, was like, that look in his eyes. Yeah. That was he, just like totally inhuman. Yeah. The, 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 this sort of like, you know, doomed animal making this impossible noise that still is almost convincingly a man, you know, it's like that we're inches away from the end of the world right there sort of feeling. And I, I thought that was really, I, I thought that was really kind of a great moment and a really nice use of unsettling sound design and direction to, to really yeah. nail it. And then they lit him on fire. Cause that's what you do. Yeah. There was uh, all of the fire effects in this movie are great. Um, I've very much enjoyed the uh, just watching everything burst into flame and all of the explosions. It's a you know I, I it didn't actually occur to me and I mean I've seen this movie like a half dozen times at this point and it didn't occur to me just how much of an explosiony movie this is. Oh yeah, where uh, you know there's uh, and and that's a real flamethrower too. They have two flame they have two flamethrowers <laughs> on the base. What? Is a flamethrower like is is it an actual like industrial tool? Like, is there something to do with it outside of use it in combat? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe disposable. If you need to set stuff on fire on a regular basis, you know, it'd probably be a reasonably good way to do it. But I don't know. Maybe you can melt ice pretty quick with a flamethrower if you need to uh, dig something out or defrost something. And we know how much of a good idea that is now. 
if you've worked in Antarctica as the flamethrower guy, you know, call, call in. in and <laughs> let us know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that would be I, amazing. I Just like on your resume, it's like you know McMurdo base flamethrower guy. Yep. It's like so. What are your qualifications for this? So I've been a flamethrower guy for the last four or five years. Before before that, I worked at Sears and I sold flamethrowers. Um, where, can you even buy one? I wonder. Probably. I, I I've always wanted to buy one. Um, you can look on Amazon. Can I, you just take a look here? Yeah, yeah, let's see. Look at Amazon. Um, so let's see. So we got the. Uh, uh, so is I think the next big effects shot after that is that um, heart attack guy? Like after like the heart attack guy autopsy? Yeah. I feel like there was something between that. Um, well, we got. We, we got there was weird. Benning like getting slapped around by the tentacles without a shirt on. Yeah, and then, and then they. And then we've got Benning's uh, as the not quite finished clone. And then, uh, then they decided to do the blood test. Then they get to the blood packs, and the blood packs are gone. And at that point... Uh, oh, you know, during the blood test, uh, what's his name? The freaked out guy. That's, that's when he goes. Yeah, Palmer. Once they start doing the blood test, then yeah, they, 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 they get to yeah. his, and it uh, jumps out onto the floor... And uh, and then he just sort of starts freaking out because yeah he, he just starts like done. shaking violently and then you know his head basically starts erupting and there's three different shots and it's clearly you know they, they did a good job with like the cutting away where it's still clearly like we're cutting away because you know you can't if, if we leave this effect shot on the screen too long it's gonna look dumb so they keep cutting away and they cut away about three times and there's like basically three different effects shots of his face just like getting bigger and bigger and yeah. then splits open like a uh, like a piranha plant in Super Mario Brothers um, and it grabs uh, who does it grab by the head sunglasses it might have been sunglasses yeah yeah, yeah and then there was uh, I, I and you know what I like I like about that scene you know they they get him and then they they send him out they set him on fire they throw the dynamite at him and they go back and it's just like well back to doing these blood tests, um, which was which, and, and then like the, the probably the funniest line of the movie is when you know they, they do the sheriff last, um, and he's just like well you know if you if you wouldn't mind uh, to, after now that we're we're done here I would rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch that was a that was a pretty good line um yeah you can get a red dragon bp 2512 svc 400,000 btu weed dragon backpack propane vapor torch kit with squeeze valve on amazon for 300 bucks and as far as i can tell it's a flamethrower excellent there you go so look forward to our Kickstarter. Does it have? Is it available on Prime? It is excellent. I don't want to wait on shipping for that sort of thing. Uh, I need that flamethrower Tuesday. Um, wow. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Maybe we should. Uh, we'll start a new podcast. Uh, we have such flames to throw you. Oh <laughs> uh, shit. Um, let's see. Other effects, you know, actually before... The autopsy. Be, 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 oh, before. Be, before, uh, before the blood test thing, uh, we get, uh, is it Curly? The guy with the curly hair, was he the one who had the heart attack? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's got this ridiculous thing where there's this, I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's also fantastic. The belly collapse thing. It's like, you know, uh, I don't know if they were like pressing on his chest or something, but... 
basically someone's hands go right into his belly, which is apparently completely uh, empty now and is just hollowed out. And, and then it has teeth that close on the wrists of the guy who was reaching down or whatever. And then, uh, and, and then the head of that body rips itself off uh, and makes a getaway via tongue, yeah. tentacle, and spider legs. And it's got two heads. Two, yes, the head it's got two curly and, guy heads. Yeah, it's like it was just growing a spare, or maybe it was still digesting the actual curly head. I don't know. Does it eat people? I couldn't tell. I, I feel like maybe it does sort of subsume them, and so maybe there's like some of the original material inside that's being digested. For yeah, because I guess material. they didn't find any corpses. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it would make sense that it's just sort of using them like a like a replicator does as base matter. Yeah, it's just breaking it down, reassembling into what is then. See, that's that's the funny thing. It's like this thing. I'm I'm trying to ask serious science questions about the functioning of a mysterious alien from outer space that creates perfect clones of people, <laughs> including somehow this is this, okay. Let, let, let's have the annoying guy who won't shut up about the dumb science in a movie moment here. Just just to address this. The big problem with this alien creature is that it manages to recreate in detail even the apparent psychology and high-level you know, mental functioning of mm-hmm. the creatures that it consumes. Which, how do you extract that information exactly? Have these creatures unlocked the secrets of consciousness so thoroughly that they can violently oh, digest the brain? Well... Uh-huh. It eats their soul, um, and and you know all of that's contained in the soul. As far as I'm aware, you know I'm no doctor, but as far as I know, the personality is contained wholly within the immortal soul. Um, so uh, I, I recognize know, the, the value in that argument for the sake of having a coherent explanation of how it works. But let's reject it for the moment and try and stick with the you know secular uh, scientific explanation. It really is kind of a problem, right? I mean, it's yeah. How do you how do you absorb something's personality? How do you absorb its thought processes? Uh, well, I mean, I get you know, the, the, the timbre I, of its voice. I mean, the voice is a very delicate the, thing. the The argument would be that if it's able, if, if it's the DNA of the thing that made it grow into what it is, I think it can, to a certain extent, like maybe if you eat something and you analyze the brain chemistry you know, and, and then you trace it back and like with the DNA. So you've got the brain chemistry at the moment that you eat at one point, you get DNA at the other. So all you got to do is just, you know, fill in the missing gaps there. And I think that maybe that's how it does it. I, that, that it's, that it's just, it's, it's grown a way to absorb, you know, something or to, or to, you know, figure out something's consciousness at any point in time. See, but I think it it gets tricky because I mean DNA doesn't your DNA doesn't store a blueprint of your future consciousness in a detailed sense. You know that like that's the current state of understanding of genetics is that DNA is a blueprint for the building process of the organism, but it's not actually a blueprint of every moment in the state of that organism's existence. You know, it's like so that, that that's why part of the problem with cloning stories tends to be the assumption that somehow magically you just ended up with you know an adult clone of something immediately growing it from scratch where what our DNA actually describes is the way in which cellular growth and development will happen over a long stretch of time. You know, the DNA maps out, you know, how something at a given moment is going, you know, what's going to happen to it in the next little bit and the next little bit and the next little bit. But the DNA is not actually like a picture of like, you know, a 34 year old adult male. 
it's so so if you try and if we're well, gonna, the monster doesn't know that. Well, yeah, but if we're going to posit that the monster is basically using the DNA to derive a final form, uh, even setting aside the cognition problem, it would also have to be some sort of amazing computer for calculating at a very high rapid rate a incredibly detailed simulation of the process of growth so that it could say, okay, the thing I'm eating, it tastes like it's about 45 years old, so I need to do 45 years worth of computation to, to, to generate uh, the information about this uh, and, and then run this very complex simulation extremely rapidly and do this big cellular process and then arrive at the end result and that's what I'm going to build in such a way that's even indistinguishable short of a blood test apparently from you know normal human flesh. So it's like it, the, the whole thing is like it's enormous. It's a huge ask. It's a huge amount of thing to be asking for. And it's a really good argument for treating this like a horror movie instead of a scientific <laughs> dissertation. I guess is what it comes down to. But still, you know, it's like that's that's the that, that's my best attempt to ruin the film for everybody. Is it? It really is one of those things where it's like the thing you're doing works much better as a ghost story than as a you know bit of speculative fiction because it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense without a lot of extra answers about the nature of this uh, alien. Uh, well, I think that the, 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 that the movie recognizes that and that's why everything is so compact and that's why there's so little curiosity about it and that's why, you know, like they lock one doctor up and the other doctor gets eight real quick that, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think just, just the nature of the movie um you know that, that that sort of adds to the to the to the to the paranoia aspect of it, and and to the to the horror is that it's completely unexplainable how this thing can do that. Even beyond like it's like oh well you know it's a shapeshifter it shifts shapes. You know it's like how to, like there there's numerous points in the movie where it's it's pretty clear that if something is the thing there's there, it might not even know it. Yeah. Like it might be such a perfect duplicate that even the thing that it turns into doesn't know that it's the thing until it's time to, you know, think. Well, yeah, and that's that's a really interesting point. It, it, certainly, it seems like there's at least that uh, perception uh, among some of the some of the guys up there. Because during the blood test stuff, for example, more than once we see someone heave a sigh of relief when it turns out they're not the thing. Yeah. Um, and that's not an argument necessarily that the thing wouldn't know it's a thing, but it's certainly an argument that they're dealing at least at some irrational level with the unknown uh, nature of things. Like, they don't know that they're not the thing, even though yeah. they don't think they are. Yeah, they, they don't know if, if you get inf if it's an infection, if it, you know, if it actually duplicates you first, or if it duplicates you from the inside. Yeah, or you know, for that matter, I mean, reasonably speaking, also, they don't know if something could go weirdly wrong, and people could assume they're the thing, even if they're not the thing, and then kill them, because yeah. stakes are obviously pretty high at this point, and, and people are not fucking around. Yeah. But it, you know, with, the, with, the, with the blood tests and all the men in close quarters, this movie is really kind of about AIDS. It, yeah, I, 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 I saw someone else saying something about that, too. Or maybe I saw you mentioning someone mentioning that. Yeah, somebody, somebody I know, like, uh, she watched it for the first time a couple of months ago. And then she tweeted, she's like, how is this movie not about AIDS? And I mean, it's from 82. Um, but in the commentary, uh, you know, um, what do you call it? Carpenter and, uh, and Russell both mentioned <laughs> yes, that. I call, um, I call it Carpenter. That's what I call it. <laughs> Um, 
Yeah, they both mentioned that like that like while they were shooting is when like the reports on AIDS started coming out and how like eerily similar everything was to you know just like the concept of the movie where you know it, it nobody knows where it came from nobody knows what to do about it the only way you you, you can't tell you can't tell by sight until it's basically too late. Um, you know, the only way to find out is a blood test. It's just like all of these things are just uh, so spookily close to, you know, the, the, the content of the movie. Yeah. Um, and especially because it's just, you know, a bunch of men. Um, and it was, you know, originally it was, uh, what was the original name for, uh, for HIV? It was, um, shit. I don't remember. But. Yeah, I've totally forgotten what it was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was it was it was linked to to men specifically in the beginning um, because it was gay men that were you know like dying of it uh, more than just about anybody. I, yeah. I think I think it was heroin users. Um, what is it? I, I learned about this in college. The four H's. Yeah, it was homosexuals, heroin users, hookers, and Haitians. Those were the, the, the four most affected groups by uh, HIV in the beginning. I, I, what the hell did I take a class on that I know this? I was an English major. Well, you learned this at 4-H camp. Oh, yeah, that was it. It was that informing. <laughs> um, Let's see. Uh... Oh, well, we, 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 were, we were sort of, like, picking off the effect sequences. Oh, yeah, I yeah. So the, the big one is the, uh, yeah, the curly-haired guy. So did, did we go through that completely? Well, yeah, his belly opens up. It closes down on whoever's wrist. It opens up with teeth. It's got it opens teeth up with in teeth. there, too. Like, it, it planned it to be, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense. No. Uh, but, hey, you know, thinking on its feet, uh, it, it was a funny moment, so good enough. And then, and then it's, they burn it with a flamethrower, but its head tears itself off. And then sprouts a tentacle that it pulls itself slowly away from the flames, and then it sprouts some spider legs and some eye stalks, and stands up with the head upside down. And at this point, we've basically got one of the monsters from Doom Three, except in Doom oh, the, Three, uh, it looked fucking ridiculous—the upside down yeah. spider skulls. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's much better in much much better in this film <laughs> in that game. I have yeah, to the, say. the legs coming out of the head was—I I love that shot. Yep. Um, like I, I think I actually I I like it more than like the, the 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 torso hideous thing that comes out of it. I actually like just the legs coming out of the head and you're clomping down. It's just like, well, time to get the fuck out of here. Yep. Um, and that's when what is it? Is that when Palmer turns around? He's just like, oh, you got to be fucking kidding. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> like at this point, he's just annoyed by it. <laughs> Um, and I think there there could be an argument that like I see two ways you could go with this one is that maybe some of the things that we see come out when it's under duress or trying to make something happen that could be an indication of the actual form insofar as there is any you know natural form for these creatures like maybe they are very tentacly spider leggy type things and that's mostly what they are until they turn into something else or it could be that those are just really handy basic tools like a tentacle is great for grabbing a thing surrounding a thing uh legs are really great for scuttering so if you need to get you know on the move then why not spider legs and I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know which of those I prefer. Like, they could be spider tentacle monsters, or those could just be their hammer and their screwdriver, and everybody's going to be carrying one. I mean, I think it just extrudes a hammer or screwdriver out of itself. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, well, not, not yeah. Carrying, carrying in the metaphor. Well, yeah, no, no, I mean, like, it's, um, well, yeah, no, I know it should be, yeah, you'd, like, there's, there's, you know, like, a basic, a basic number of things that the thing can do before it absorbs other things to, to, to get their skills to. Like yeah. you know, like a like a base level Borg. No, 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 no upgrades yet. But there's a certain amount of things a Borg can do without any upgrades. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're yeah. just you're, level your primary one. tool set. Your 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 basics. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think I think that's an interesting question. Is like which of those yeah. is more the case? Is it really just a blank slate that knows a few tricks, or is it actually expressing something about its? Uh, primordial form in the things that we see when it's uh, trying to pull something off. Uh, but yes, so so effect shots we get uh, uh, we we get the blood making a run for it too, which is not much of a shot, yeah. but it's when they test uh, Palmer's blood. Uh, yeah, it's it, just little, it, little drops start uh, motoring, move by themselves. Yeah. And I mean, when when they stick like the hot wire in the blood, it sort of bursts out of there much bigger than yeah. the blood itself is. Yeah, it's like a little horrible monster just bursts out. Like like you know that yeah. uh, that Photoshop GIF of someone puts their cell phone in the microwave. Yeah, and yeah. And then it, it starts to smoke and burble, and then all of a sudden you get like a horrible monster jaw coming out of there, vaguely seeable in the yeah. Yeah, it's that, just that sped up a lot more. Yep. Um. Yeah, so that, and I mean, like that was like the big, big effect shot of the movie is is that whole seek. Oh no, no, I'm sorry, the previous sequence. And so uh, after that, oh no, no, wait, there's the the one at the end. I yeah, forgot. well, there's a couple things. There's a little one at the end yeah. where the monster uh, Blair Wilford Brimley as a monster comes out and really quietly puts his hands through uh, through Gary's face, the sheriff. Yeah, and his hands are sort the, of going, which is like straight the, the the exact same shot as one of the Hellraiser movies. Yeah. Uh, 10 years later. Um, I just love the way, um, because it's Wilford Brimley and he's sort of like, you know, he's like, he's a jolly guy. Uh, he's, you know, he's Santa shaped basically. And, you know, like the sheriff's poking around and Wilford Brimley just sort of boop, pokes out the back. It's like, hello. You know, like of all things to sneak up on you, Wilford Brimley is not something you'd expect to sneak up on yeah, you. But like grim dead eyed Wilford Brimley. Yeah. Too, so it's like, oh man, but you're supposed to be jolly. Why aren't you being jolly? Why are you putting your hand through my face? Uh, so, but but there's and there's a great little thing like like that shot's pretty conspicuous like he's really putting his hand inside the dude's yeah. skin but then a little bit like like a few seconds later we get a, a, a just a quick shot of Blair wandering or wandering off with Gary's body in tow yeah. and he's pulling it by the loose sack of skin that is stretched out from his face and it's just like a, a subtle uh, as far as things in this film go but I really love just that little moment he's just like yanking him along. <laughs> Santa dragging his sack of human, <laughs> human sack. But yeah, then there's then then there's finally the big, uh, the big final monster, monster shot. Confronting Took fifty people, uh, fifty separate puppeteers. Wow, that's to make lot. that thing work. Yeah, and it's huge. It is. Yeah, like it's it's you know it it it's sort of like you you can tell the scale of the of the special effects stuff that they use um and this thing was fucking huge and you know it's 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 like it's you know it's it's sort of rooted in the ground and then you know there's this big torso i think were there arms i think there was something like there was arms some sort on of limbs it. yeah yeah and then at the top is like half wilford brimley head and then coming out of it is just this enormous like snout full of teeth yeah. like you know about 
roughly as long as the head is tall, maybe even longer. And then the dog thing bursts out of its middle, and the dog thing has limbs too. Yep. And yeah, I mean that thing is, you know, that was that that was like the 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 I'm. I'm going to die if I don't win this battle <laughs> yep. form of it. You know, that that, that was its final form. Um, it was the, if you were watching Dragon Ball Z, this would be, I'm going to say, six to ten episodes after the fight started. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I really like that they went big with it, because it feels, it, it feels like a large pop. And the thing is, they probably could have saved themselves some serious money and difficulty by shooting... Uh, something in miniature instead, like, you know, scale it down, like, to 20% of the actual size of the thing, and still gotten, you know, most of the look there, but yeah, it it felt sort of weirdly substantial in, even though we didn't necessarily get a real good look at it, I mean, it's, again, sort of quick cuts and and tight editing to give the impression of this thing as much as anything uh, in the relative darkness, but uh, yeah, it really did feel like this ridiculous, monstrous thing they made. And they did. I mean, I would have loved to have worked effects on this movie. That would, I mean, I don't know what working effects involves. I, let me rephrase that. I would have loved to hang around the special <laughs> effects studio and bother people while they were working on this. That's, 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 um, that's, the, that's the right approach. Yeah, yeah. just come up to somebody it's like, so what are you doing? It's like, oh, this fucking guy again. I'm painting it. What does it look like? Um, I'd totally be that guy. Um, so yeah, those were all the big, and then, and then after, is it after that, that they blow everything up or is that as they're blowing everything up? Um, the, the monster, they're in the process of blowing everything up and they're <laughs> setting up, like they've blown up a bunch of stuff, just chucking grenades into rooms and then they go down to sort of blow up the infrastructure and they're setting up the dynamite in three different spots. And that's when the monster starts, uh, getting in the way of that plan and, uh, gets Gary and, and, uh, gets, uh, roller skates. Uh, I really had roller skates for an early, like pinned as an early death, but then eventually, I guess he just sort of takes off the roller skates and and uh, gets serious about shit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's the one that sort of like abandons McCready and goes back and is like, "Look, look what I found," which you know is a ballsy move. Yep. Um, which I liked that too. The fact that uh, the monster figured out that people had figured out that the clothes gets torn up. That you know, the monster had figured out that Mac had figured that out, and then stole some of Mac's clothes and tore him up to make it look like there had been a transformation and then hides that in Max shack. Is yeah. that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. That is, oh. I believe what happened. Some sequence of events along those lines. Cause we get Mac figuring out like, like early on, there's sort of like a throwaway scene of someone finding some dirty laundry. Roller skates complains about someone dropping their, you know, crappy laundry in yeah. his kitchen. And, uh, and then, and then later we get Mac sort of making the connection. And he actually mentions this to someone that, Hey, I think, uh, it sort of tears through the clothes when it gets someone, which would make sense with the tentacles and the shape, changing yeah. shapes and whatnot. Uh, like the Hulk. And then, the and then, yeah. And then, and then the scientist guy, uh, whoever the science guy, <laughs> the, 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 the extra science guy, uh, ends up outside and he finds a piece of Max clothing with hole, holes in it. Yeah, and then and then later, yeah, we get people going out to Mac's shack and and finding that and cutting Mac loose as a result. Um, and there's there's always the possibility. I mean, there's nothing that necessarily tells us for sure that Mac isn't also the thing. It seems really unlikely, especially with the big yeah. showdown at the end. But 
maybe maybe we've got multiple things, and they're very very antagonistic towards each other. Well, so maybe, maybe it's not ma- even that they're they're antagonistic towards each other, but maybe it knows that if it blows up, like if it makes a big show out of being this big monster and gets like one of its sub things to kill that thing, everybody will let the sub thing live because you know it's like oh clearly you're on the good side, and that's how it gets out. Yeah, maybe it was hoping, and, and the problem was Childs didn't get to see that happening, and so Childs is unconvinced even at the end. Uh, yeah, I mean that the, the that last scene with like him and Childs just, just sitting there being like, it's like, well, you know, and neither of us are in any shape to do anything about it. If one of us is a thing, it could very well be two things talking to each other that don't <laughs> yep. know their things. Yep. Um, that's you know, it could be anyone. Which I particularly like as a possible outcome there that they're just sort of staring each other down. Yeah. And it's just like, well, I'm a person. Are you a person? I'm a person. But no, neither of them are people. Well, and there's a great moment, too, early on where, you know, someone brings up the completely reasonable question of, you know, well, if I was an imitation, if I was a perfect imitation, how would you know it wasn't me? Which is obviously a core theme in the film of, like, how do you deal with the resolving that paranoia and whatnot? But it's also, yes. it's, it's the film for a moment threatens to become a meditation on the problem of uh, philosophical zombies. But then this is not a film that really... Uh, engages that stuff uh, in terms of the actual dialogue of the film. But like, are, are you familiar with the philosophical zombie? I explain it for our listeners. Uh, good answer. <laughs> uh, the, the, the basic idea, it, it's something that comes up in philosophical discussions where the philosophical zombie is um, basically this notion of if you have another human being you know, the, 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 the normal sort of assumption that we have in, in, in rational day-to-day going through lives is that if we see another human being, what they are is another person just like we are. You know, they've got the same sort of stuff inside their head. You know, we're all just human beings going around doing what human beings as organisms do, as people with consciousness and blah, 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 blah. You know, it's, when you're not trying to do philosophy, that's really sufficient for, you know, thinking about dealing with another human being. But a lot of philosophy questions are trying to get at the nature of the world and the nature of existence and the nature of humanity. And one construct that throws a wrinkle in a lot of potential philosophical theories is how do you know that that person you're looking at is in fact an actual functioning thinking human being and not just some soulless, thoughtless thing that's putting on an extremely good show. Like how can I prove that the person standing next to me is in fact a person the way I think of myself as a person and not just essentially some fleshy automaton that, knows to say the right words and knows to blink often enough, but doesn't actually have a sense of self the way I do. You know, when it says, when I say, how are you doing? It says, oh, you know, I'm doing okay. Is it actually assessing itself and saying, oh, well, you know, I feel like, okay, living person, or is it just, does it just say that because that is what it's built mechanically to do? So how do you identify the difference between an actual human being and a philosophical zombie. And, and the short answer in a lot of cases is basically you don't. And so it becomes a big sort of problem in thinking about how it's a big assumption, basically. It's a big assumption that we make that human beings are all human beings, you know, and not just this uh, impossible to detect, you know, zombie that seems to be but isn't, you know. And, and so how do you structure the world based on an assumption that you can't prove is true? And, and so it's a great, great big giant mess. And I'm, I'm, I'm not really doing it just at all. Cause I really, I, I've got no f- philosophy chops at all, but that's the philosophical zombie. It's not a, it's not a brain zombie. It's a, you know, the, the impossible to determine, you know, sort of quantum nature of uh, fellow humans versus the, uh, the other, the, 
you know, fundamental alien that we just can't detect. Which, this film, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, um, there's... The first couple of times that I saw it, like when 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 Curly is having his heart attack, I I did not figure out what that was, um, and I mean, like I thought this that's like oh you know clearly he's going to be the monster that's what it's hinting at and I'm not sure if it was supposed to be or if I misinterpreted and it's supposed to be much clearer that it's actually like a heart attack that he's having or if it's supposed to be both where it's just like well you know it could be one it could be the other I don't know neither does anybody else know he might not even know like he might be thinking it's like oh it's my heart or I'm turning into the thing which he does turn into well and so he had to have already been the thing at that point right I mean, yeah, but there's no nothing saying that he would have known that he was the thing, even if he was the thing at that point. Yeah, and so it imitated him so exactly that he was having a heart attack from stress, or he was, you know, having like a, the, the body was doing the heart attack thing. Yeah, yeah. Even it, though it's the that doesn't cause any actual damage to the creature. Yeah, and I like that we don't really particularly know which is the case either. Like we don't yeah. even. Yeah, we aren't given enough information to know whether or not that's something that Curly was aware of as was happening or if Curly was even in there to be aware, or if it was just an ex- uh, exquisite bit of acting, which is, you know, I mean, I- I- in the story, it was, it was a perfectly <laughs> fine piece of acting, I guess, in the, uh, on, on camera, but there was nothing exquisite about that heart attack. Yeah. I don't want to oversell it. <laughs> uh, you've never seen a man go into cardiac arrest like this. Um, he won three Golden Globes for that. Yeah, and so a pacemaker. I, th- th- these are all questions I... I, I, I I, I don't really expect the 2011 film to be uh, as as good or as charming to me as as this one, but I am actually no, kind no. of excited to see just just to be able to look at some of these questions and sort of see uh, how they how they play out in light of some of the speculation we're able to do here, and also see what the 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 old film is because I expect that to be a lot, I guess, more hammy. Uh, just because, like, 1951 I, science lo- fiction movie I, is hard to... It, I mean, honestly, like, the scenes where they're hanging around a table in this one and being like, you know, what should we do? What's going on? That seems to be composing most of the previous... of the, of the original film. So, um, and I mean, th- that might be 50s, you know, melodramatic acting, but this movie was definitely, like, 80s acting. It was pre... Yeah. It was pre, um, like, self-aware '80s acting, which, thank God, because I don't know if I would have been able to. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would have been able to, to to watch this movie if it was in like the same tone as Big Trouble in Little China or something. Oh, geez, yeah. Then it would just be called like the Thingy or something. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, the there there's a very like, um, what do you call it? grimdark tone about this where it's like well we're all men and we're all serious men and even the jokey men are serious and we got to figure out what's going on and god damn it let's just do the thing um which is just like very of its time as much as you know the uh the 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 sort of um 50s style of uh of you know like to us really sort of like ersatz sounding conversation is where it's just like it's like well people didn't talk anything nearly like that, and people only kind of didn't la- talk like this. And you know, in in twenty years, somebody's going to look at this, and they're 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 going to look at you know like the one from the fifties as one of those uh, you know like a trip to the moon or something where everybody's jumping around and smacking things with umbrellas, and like this will be the fifties movie. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's agreed in 30 years we'll revisit series of films and see for, how our aesthetic interpretation of them has changed. So look forward to episode 750. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to check your map. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, good job. Or they're about 768 maybe. Although if we keep taking uh, two weeks off every year. then. Uh, yes. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about in the film uh, is, is the handling of the dog. Because if we, if we ignore the drunk driving UFO thing before the, the title crawls out, uh, this is basically, it starts as a movie about a dog. It's a happy movie about nice doggies having fun in the snow. Yeah, that dog is really enjoying it. So he's doing like the, uh, like you see like him doing like little dives thing where the back goes into like a, a wave shape form because they're having so much fun. Yep. I, I feel like you get like 10 really, really ready for Tumblr screen grabs yeah. from this movie's opening uh, that we just get a lot of notes and, and, and reblogs and whatnot. Uh, and the dog, you know, eventually, obviously, we find out that the thing with the dog is that the dog is the thing, and yeah. its head splits open, and, and shit starts getting real. But up until that, we get a lot of the dog, and the film puts a lot of attention on the dog, but it, it's, hard, it's hard for me to totally unpack this having not just watched the movie for the first time, because I think watching the movie for the first time and then trying to approach this, I, I would have a clear picture of it. But it was, it was sort of hard to know how to balance uh, knowing that the thing is out there and, and hence probably in the dog, since the dog is the main vector we have uh, coming in from, from elsewhere uh, with a totally sort of, there's a lot of attentive framing and returning to the dog before yeah. the big reveal. You know, we see a lot of the dog, the dog is clearly important to the film somehow, but he's not really portrayed in a particularly menacing way. He just seems sort of like a, it really is just like, there's this nice chilled out dog that ran into camp and he's sort of hanging mm -hmm. out and he's poking into rooms. And, and, and so there's this weird contrast between occasional moments of framing it in a spooky way, but still not really selling the dog as trouble, but we obviously can't ignore the dog. You know, it's like the dog isn't a surprise, even though they try not to particularly telegraph that the dog is trouble. Like, you know, it, so it, it's this weird sort of, it felt a little bit halfway to me trying to think through it. Like there's a one shot where the dog wanders into a room where uh, somebody was in a back room somewhere and we get the, we see the silhouette of whoever the guy is doing whatever he's doing on the yeah. wall. And the dog is sort of standing at the doorway and that's, that's getting into actively. There's something a little menacing going on here territory that I think points to the dog as a vector for menace. But even that's not like it's visually, there's an implication through like, you know, shadow on the wall and sort of coy observation that implies something on there, but it's not really sold as heavily spooky. And so, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm kind of curious if you felt the same way or if you had strong feelings one way or the other about the, the handling of the dog in the lead up. Um, yeah, I, I think the dog, it was just like sort of an uneven, um, an uneven way of introducing something. Um, I mean, like, I totally see what they were going at with that. You know, it's like on the one hand, it's a happy dog. On the other hand, you know, it could be the monster and, you know, it is the monster at some point. Um, but yeah, there's, it, there was either too much or too little. I, I, I can't really... I can't really tell what, like there was either like too much as in, you know, there's too much focus on the dog where it's just like, it, it, it's like, you know, the, um, 
what do you call it? Like in a Kung Fu movie where you got like, you, where, you know, like there's that one guy who's going to be like the end guy. Cause he's wearing the fancy suit or something. It, it, it was sort of like that where there's a lot of attention called to the dog, but it, it doesn't deserve that much attention really. Um, especially because of just like the payoff from the dog is just the scene in the dog tank. And there was no, you know, that they, they could have easily just left that be without having any of the, you know, like the dog moments that, that don't really lead to anything. Yeah. And on the other hand, you know, like if the, the, there were dog moments and they, they should have led to something. Um, and they, and then they didn't really like there was, I, I, I can't see what, losing the scenes with the dog and just having the like you know you have the with the scene where the dog is introduced and the crazy norwegian guy is trying to blow it up and shoot it you know and the dog runs up and hugs the guys and then you have the scene with the dog like hanging out under the table and he spooks somebody and then you take the dog back and that that's it like that would have been enough yeah. um like some some uh, little scene yeah. in the middle there to remind us that the dog is around so it's not yeah. like oh right that dog yeah out of the blue. And, and I think that that's the kind of thing where you finally see like the power of editing where like, you know, you, you, um, you know, you get like something, it's like, it's like, you know, there's three minutes of deleted footage and it's like, well, three minutes can be a lot. Cause right now we're talking about like, I think 45 seconds worth of footage being too much. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like as much as we're criticizing it, this is, it's not like it was just dog, 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 dog. Cause it was just like, yeah. it was just enough to be, uh, conspicuous yeah. in a way that doesn't pay off yeah. well enough. There's a lot of shots to check. There's a lot of qualifiers in yeah. that sentence. Well, and, and it's interesting too because I think part of part of why uh, uh, part of why I, I, I could see an argument for having the dog seen several times, partly to establish maybe the mechanics of of the monster gathering intel. You know, you can make that argument. Maybe that's part of how it gets its impression of people is it, you know, actually observes and, and monitors sort of behavior and whatnot. So it hanging around and being seen in the vicinity of various people could be sort of an argument along those lines. I mean, the dog had to learn how to be a dog because it was a convincing dog. Yeah. Well, it, so, yeah, yeah. It, it must've been around other dogs at the Norwegian camp, presumably. Um, when we see that silhouette shot of somebody in the room that it's looking into, there's the possibility that that could have been a moment of uh, infection too. Although I don't remember, if it was someone who ended up living long enough to have their blood tested. So that would be an argument about that, I guess. But it could be, it could be the implication that after the fact, you're supposed to think, oh man, that dog had its tentacles in everything, you know, from the get go. But the big reveal in the dog kennel, when it does the thing kind of almost argues against that. Cause that felt like, yeah. you know, when it goes for it, there's not going to be any of that original dog left per se, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly, but yeah, I, I, I thought I had a hard time not th- overthinking the dog i think another thing that i i wanted to overthink and then didn't get a chance to do anything with was there's a shot early on uh with a helicopter maybe when max powering it up maybe when uh it's just sitting there but there's a shot of the rear of the helicopter and there's a sign that says danger in red letters and an arrow pointing to the the helicopter's tail road oh yeah Chekhov's helicopter. Yeah, rotor. and I was like, uh, "Is John Carpenter going somewhere with this?" Like, I didn't remember a helicopter rotor. <laughs> or was that like a OSHA necessary sign for the movie set? Not even like for the for the base. <laughs> that was a, that, that needs to be set. on the movie set. And, and Carpenter was like, "Oh, if you're going to make me label it, fine. I'm going to put it on film." Or, or does John Carpenter just think helicopters are kind of rad? And he's like, "Hey, let's have it." Or is it just like as just bringing the concept of danger into the film just by putting the word on screen in whatever context necessary? 
Uh, I think he thinks helicopters are so rad, he learned to fly one after this movie. Really? Yeah, because um, when him and Kurt Russell were talking on the, um, on the uh, what do you call it? On the, in the commentary, that's it. Um, he mentions, like, uh, Kurt Russell actually asks, uh, it's like, hey, was this before or after you got your, your, your pilot or your flying license or whatever? He's just like, no, this is the movie that made me think, oh, this is great. I should get one of those. <laughs> um, nice. So yeah, that that that's that. You know what? I, I think after listening to the commentary for this one, I enjoy commentaries, but these guys broke it down a little too much. Where it's just like, eh, they're, they're, you know, um, the 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 commentary for for like something like Cabin in the Woods was mostly just like you know let's discuss the themes and what we were trying to getting at and the commentary with Kurt Russell and and John Carpenter was just like they were like literally pointing out all the zippers on the monster suit and all the wires <laughs> holding everything up. Um, and it was entertaining, but it also sort of just like takes away from the movie magic a bit. Tearing back the veil a little bit too much for you. Yeah. And like all the way at the end, they're actually just like, it's like, you know, we, it's like neither of us as a, you know, Carpenter or Russell can appreciate the movie as a movie just because they were there when they were filming it and they just, they they can't watch it like we do. But on the other hand, they've got like, you know, they, they were there when it was made. They, they, they know all the tricks, which is in itself is sort of great thing um but yeah I, I think there might be there might be a little much to to you know I, I think by the time that like i forget like all of the specific things about what's a set and what's not a set and what was shot where you know if it's uh when i forget that i'll be able to watch the movie and be like oh okay but like after listening to the commentary this time i was just like man i'm not gonna be able to watch this movie for a little while otherwise all i'm gonna be seeing is like fucking you know cardboard sets and then knowing that like the snow scenes are shot in two totally different places and and so on yeah um yeah there was a there's a little moment uh in the film that made me think someone needs to do some research on this where uh bennings i think maybe tells uh roller skates uh to turn that music down yeah, and and Roller Skate is like okay over the intercom, it up. and then well, then he doesn't he doesn't turn it up, but, but he he sort of like puts his hand over it and then just sort of waves it with a flourish and doesn't do anything as is, is what I I think is what he did there, but it's basically it's the same feeling as the classic hey turn that down oh okay turn it up scene yeah, and someone needs to do like just a super cut of of people responding unhelpfully to requests to turn stuff down in movies because there's got to be. An easy dozen good examples, you know, from the eighties of that, mm-hmm. and 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 so on. It's such a just perfect little petulant bit of characterization. Plus, you'd get Spock, you know, nerve pinching some dude on, <laughs> on the bus. Uh, you know, the, um, I was watching Cosmos the other day with with the, the new one with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, he uses the phrase "undiscovered country" at some point. <laughs> Oh, he's a he's a Dickens. Yeah, I was wondering. I was like, this show's for nerds like me. <laughs> Let's see what else? Uh, I liked that they had VHS recordings of game shows. Yeah, that was yeah. nice. And oh. you know, they'd watch them like fifty times. You think you'd have a better one like Jeopardy or something? Yeah, I, I would have just. I, yeah, I would have. I, I think I would have planned to tape something other than a game show. Is what I would have yeah. done. But you know, maybe someone got it as you know, just to mix things up, and then. Then you've still got it because what do you do? Uh, hide the, uh, the the radio operator sunglasses. Yeah, sunglasses had an extremely bad attitude about his job. I want to say, like, I realize really he did. was maybe under stress, but he really seemed to like 
really actively resent the idea that people would want to know if he was able to get a hold of anyone or was even trying. And it's like, that's what you do. You just gotta, you just gotta get on the fucking horn and, and do that. Cause that's your, that's your job that's, on the yeah, base. You're the radio guy. What you're employed to do. And it's an important thing and maybe try and do it. Um, he was also like the youngest guy there by far, right? Everybody there was like a good 10 years older than him, it seemed. I, I don't think roller skates was too old necessarily. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's hard skates. to say for sure. But uh, but yeah, he was definitely, he seemed like one of the young guys. Whereas Palmer, the, the weirdo, seemed like a guy who was once young and just sort of tried to stick with it. Uh, Palmer, I, you know who that reminded me of? Harry Dean Stanton. Was that yeah, Harry Dean Stanton? No, I, I don't think it was, but yeah, I kind of got the same vibe. It could have been. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton is still alive. He's like 85, 86 years old. Yeah, I think he's still kicking. Yeah, they just he just, uh, I think he, he had a like a brief interview or like an article or somebody spotted him somewhere and the picture got out and he's just like him drinking and having a cigarette like at a restaurant and he's like 85 years old and he's just like, yeah, I, I, I mainly, you know, I wake up mainly just to drink and smoke now. It's just like, damn. Yeah, it, it sort of, yeah, it seems like that seems a very Harry Dean Stanton-esque uh, situation at least. Yeah, like I'm, tr- it, it, like I'm trying to figure out, it's like him and like Lance Henriksen. It's like, were these guys like always middle-aged? I, you know, I, I, I think both of them just like entered middle age from like age twenty two, and it's like, bam, they're they're Harry Dean Stanton and Lance Henriksen and all those guys. Yeah, I can't I can't think of anything I've seen when they were young, and I, I don't know, I don't know if they had careers like maybe they were both slightly late starters. Uh, maybe it's just just the nature of their fucking you know rough hewn you know stone maybe it's like um, faces that they just from their because well I mean like like was, what was the name of that guy in Fernwood tonight. Um, and he was in Clue. Um, oh, God damn it. Because he, between him being like a young man and him being an old man, or not an old man, like a grown man, he became like, he looked complete Martin Mull. Martin Mull just went through a metamorphosis halfway through his life to become the Martin Mull we know now from a completely unrelated person. Um, just, just by the look of it. So maybe, maybe we've seen like Harry Dean Sand, Lance Henriksen, in a bunch of movies being like, Oh yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, and that's the young man that eventually comes out of his cocoon to become <laughs> Bishop and aliens. Yep. I, I really liked the line. Uh, I just cannot believe any of this voodoo bullshit from child, especially when he then yeah. turns it around and basically just, conjugates it slightly and puts himself do you believe any of this <laughs> which uh which uh is, is fair i i felt like i feel like wilford brimley doesn't look right without a mustache i will say yeah that that was weird uh you know it's, it's not his fault but uh you know he's it's wilford brimley he has a mustache that's who wilford brimley is so yeah i i, I knew he was in this movie the first time i watched it. i'm like wait but which one of the guys was it <laughs> because <laughs> i was just looking for a mustache i'm just like and like you know i'm not great with faces and i'm like i was pretty sure it was him it's like it doesn't look that much like him i guess was he on a yeah. uh, little house in the prairie as well no idea i'm gonna look that up I, I i i never really was a fan of the show but uh my sister loved it and and so i i was aware of it and saw it sometimes uh but yeah, I, I, I think maybe he was some grandfather figure or something on it. Uh, hmm. I'll, I'll see if I can find uh, Wilford here anywhere. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. I'm, not. I'm not finding him. So yeah, maybe I'm just inventing that. Maybe he was just in some other historical stuff. 
but uh, he is from history. Like, I mean, yes, I'm pretty yeah. sure we plucked him out of uh, <laughs> 1875, and he's just like, oh, I like it here too. Why not? Yeah, that's how they said diabetes back then. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? Max pilot hat. Should we talk about that? Because oh, the, that's the, was was it a sombrero? What, I don't what know. Was that it, thing? It, it was it was like someone. Someone got drunk and combined a sombrero with like an Australian uh, outdoorsman's hat and ended up with this gigantic thing that was just ridiculous. And I don't know why you would put that on when you got into a helicopter. It seems like it would just really limit your field of view, but maybe it keeps the sun out of your eyes or something. I guess hats are known to do that. Yep. Uh, But yeah, it was a really big hat. It was a really big hat, a ridiculously big hat. And it's probably some. Spe- it probably is some specific known kind of hat. Like I doubt John Carpenter invented it or anything. Yeah. Uh, maybe Kurt Russell just. Well, no, saw it, like, it is. It, it's the carpenter. That, that's what they call it <laughs> right, now. If you go into hat. any of the hip hat stores, you're just like, yeah. "Oh, you know, give me a hard carpenter." They need two guys to get it from downstairs yeah, for you. Like, oh yeah, that's over in the helicopter section. Yeah. Um, Helicoptering hat. <laughs> yeah, like a pilot's hat. It's a helicoptering hat. Uh, there was a there. There's a couple split uh, split lens shots. Split yeah, there lenses. were. Um, I, I had to have that pointed out to me by the commentary. But yeah, I now I have much much clearer idea of what that looks like. Yeah, about 65 minutes in, there's a shot with a science guy in the foreground, and Mac mm-hmm. is in the background, and they're both super clear. And then uh, a bit later, there's uh, the big uh, gentle giant looking dude uh, has. A scalpel in the foreground on the left side of the shot, mm-hmm. and uh, I think maybe Mac was in yeah. in focus uh, in, yeah. in the background on the right side. Um. So yeah, I, I just I, yeah, I thought, I thought <laughs> yay. Every time we get one of those, I'm just a little bit happy. I did want to ask a question when they're doing the impromptu blood test. Mm-hmm. Uh, why the thumb? Why would yeah, you? That's, why would you cut open people's thumbs? Yeah, that's like you know, you need your thumbs. Part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, nick the back of your you know wrist or something. You know, get. I mean, I, I think it was necessity as part of the special effect, maybe well, or yeah, something. It, it, I it's, don't know. It, it, it's probably relatively easy to pull off as an effect shot. Yeah. Plus, it plus it looks like ooky. He was like, oh god, you know. Yeah. So someone someone knew how to do a thumb real well, but but it just yeah, it's like you're going to be using that thumb you know, all day. Yeah. Even if it's on the other hand, you're still carrying shit. Yeah. So I, I didn't know, I didn't know what to, what to think of that exactly. Um, windows, windows was the name of shade. Yeah. That, that confused hide. me yeah. for a while. I was just like, what? There's not even, it's like, cause at some point he's just, somebody yells windows and then he goes to look at the window. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, come on. He just really likes them. Yeah. Another thing with the, the, the blood running away too, I wanted to mm-hmm. sort of argue that, 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 that's the moment that things sort of seem helpless to me. Yeah. Not the fact that, Oh no, it's scary. Even the blood's making a run for it. But the fact that a drop of blood is apparently mobile enough and self-contained enough to make a run for it means you're really fucked. You're really, really fucked at this point. Like, you know, literally maybe nuking the site for more work on the assumption that that would destroy, you know, the stuff. But otherwise, how do you actually successfully kill this creature if doing things like blowing it up or burning it could lead to a little bit of tissue getting away and then being capable of you know, reinfecting. It's, it's, it's like the same problem with the ending of, uh, uh, 28 days later. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where they decide to pull off 
the happy ending after establishing basically the total impossibility of the happy ending where happy ending here is a very limited sense that a character we care about doesn't die. You know, there's still all sorts of terrible things that have happened, but, but yeah, they do the thing where let's do the full body transfusion. We'll replace all of your blood with, uh, fresh blood that's not infected so that you won't become a zombie. But the thing is, it's first of all, how do you get it? How do you make sure you get literally every scrap of blood? There's, yeah, that's 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 why I mean I think that's why that that that's part of the thing about it is that there's there's unless it's not found, there's no real way to you know it, we're yeah. we're everybody it's like the, the, there's it was an incredible amount of luck that this thing landed in Antarctica and not you know. California, because you know, if it landed in California, it's just that we'd just be a planet of things right now, yep. and then launching spaceships out to other planets drunkenly. Yeah. Well, and I guess I, I was seeing something Carpenter refers to this and a couple other films as sort of like a trilogy of yeah, apocalypse. it was um, this uh, in the mouth of, of madness. madness and uh, something King. It was something, the you know, one in the middle. I, I, Prince I of Darkness. Yeah, which I, I've never seen. I don't know anything yeah, about it. Yeah, me neither. But yeah, he calls it his Apocalypse trilogy. Well, and it's interesting because this one sort of leaves the Apocalypse very much, you know, implied as a possibility. Uh, right. Whereas in the Mouth of Madness, just like really stone cold, the Apocalypse has occurred by the end of that film. Uh, which, have you seen that? I have not. Oh, we should do that sometime. I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Sam Neill, he's, he, he's, he's fun to watch, and he gets to chew on some scenery. It's, it's like the metafictional one where he's like the author of the, the Lovecraftian yeah. stories, well, he, right? He's the agent. He's the uh, agent. He, he, he's a literary agent, and then the author is, becomes the author of, of the doom of the world, essentially. Right. Uh, and it's fun. It, 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 it's, it's an odd film that managed to take a couple odd turns. Um, you know, I, I, it, I sort of put it and event horizon side by side in my head as imperfect, but still I enjoy them. Uh, horror movies starring Sam Neill, um, which is a Netflix category. I'm sure. Uh, right. <laughs> but, uh, but you yeah, know, we should, we, we should do that sometime. Cause I, I would yeah. enjoy doing that. Get a little bit of, a little bit of Lovecraft. Uh, yeah, I got a on. copy of it hanging around, but yeah, that one, that one really unambiguously like the apocalypse really, really, really has happened by the end of that movie. Uh, so I'm kind of curious if Prince of Darkness lands somewhere in the middle, like if Carpenter kept getting more and more just, no, seriously, you're fucked uh, <laughs> <laughs> over the sequence of these films. Um, but yeah, so yeah, the, 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 the blood getting away really, yeah, like you say, it seems like it's just basically a matter of time and a little bit of short-term luck here that humanity's not already subsumed. Uh, did I have anything else? I, I feel like I had a couple little notes, but uh, I think I think I've lost them. I think I think that was all I had to specifically call out. But did you have any? Did you um, have any other specific little? Let me see. Notes or uh, yeah, I mentioned the verbose computer output that I very much enjoyed. Um, yeah, I think I'm uh, yeah tied to the fucking couch. <laughs> I, I love that. I mean, the, the cuts, uh, just just the cuts in that line where it's just like you know you cut. There's two guys on the couch. You cut. There's no, you cut. There's three guys, two guys. Then you get the three guys with the flamethrowers each aiming them at the sheriff who's by himself on the couch now. I think that was just like a witty set of cuts in a movie that just likes explicitly like you know doesn't have a lot of humor in it. Um, it's just like just and and that the, you know I I like. I, I like it when, like, you know, the, the, the comedy is just established with 
just a shot that is not inherently funny by itself, but when you juxtapose it against other shots and when you have like that quick cut, you know, where, you know, the, the, the time compression is just like you can make a joke using nothing but a cut. And I think that's, um, yeah, you know, that's a really good, uh, it's a good way to 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 do that when you when you want when you want to put humor in a movie, but you don't want to just have people cracking jokes because it's just like not that kind of environment. Yeah. Where it's like you know if if any of these like you know it's it's not the fact that none of these characters seem to have a sense of humor. It's the fact that it's just like none of it it, it none of them use humor as a de- as a way of dealing with tense situations. So if you know, and they're clearly characterized yeah, as such. Yeah, there was there, there was none of the wisecracking, you know, nervous sidekick stuff in this film yeah. at all. Even the characters you would think might have been that weren't. They were just like they're all yeah. this is fucked. Everything yeah. is fucked. What are we gonna do? Yeah. Yeah, I was I was glad for like the lack of wisecracking in this. Even though like I usually like, you know, I, I like humor in my movies, like the way that they put the humor into this where it's just like, you know, the, the the cutting with that and then, you know, um Palmer's like, "Oh, you got to be fucking kidding me." Like exasperation with it. You know, totally in character with him. So I I very much enjoyed that. And I liked, you know, I I will say that scene too, just the 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 conceit of tying a bunch of guys down and then having one of them turn into a monster, yeah. the, the just sheer horror of anybody else tied down is kind of a, it, like, yeah, they were freaking really, out. Yeah. Charles I was and like, sheriff. yeah. And I, I was like, Holy shit. No, but he's fucking, Oh God. You know, it really, yeah. I, I, I sympathized massively, even though I'm sitting here watching this movie <laughs> and I kind of even like know what's going to happen. And it's not really a problem. I'd be like, Oh, yeah. but he's fucking tied. Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know? So it's a, uh, it's, it's one of those, it's a good setup that reveals a certain amount of like, on the one hand, intentional tactile thinking, but on the other hand, not necessarily being partly humane and thinking through the circumstances and the, the, how it's going to play out when you decide yeah. to handle a situation like this. So, yeah. uh, yeah, I don't know. Good movie. I liked this movie. Yeah, me too. I, 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 it's one of my favorite horror movies. And I, I like I like some Kurt Russell. You know, he's he's just one of even, my even though he's basically just playing a, a, a an unpleasant asshole, he's still mm-hmm. you know fun. You know, like like I, I get the impression that if this movie had not turned into a horror movie and we'd seen more of his character, we just would have really really actively disliked him. Yeah, like I think he's. Yeah. I think I think Mac is just probably a real unlikable son of a bitch but then you throw yeah, in a situation where everybody's dying and shit and i liked the fact that that sort of underlying character stuff came out in him actually mm-hmm. you know being the right guy to try and sort of take charge of the situation and yep. you know you know he's definitely you know in the shit yeah. get off the pot you know uh yeah that i so they, they, yeah, they did a very good job with that. Like he was clearly there to get out away from something. Like when you look at everything, and and yeah, um, yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, I I think we should. Uh, I, I think we should probably uh, call it. I think you're yep. almost at a battery. Yep. Oh, uh, we actually you wrote batter. <laughs> You wrote, I've got 30 <laughs> minutes left on batter. So your pancakes aren't going to make themselves. No. Uh, so, so next yeah, fortnight, yes, we'll look at the 2011. Did you say, say fortnight? Yes, fortnight. Uh, you said fortnight. <laughs> next fortnight. <laughs> Happy anniversary, everybody. Uh, nothing but um, fart jokes from now on. Um, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll watch. Uh, we're going to watch the 2011 prequel. Yeah, we're gonna watch uh, of of the thing or whatever it turns out to be. Uh, it, it's a very it's a very uh, Nordic looking cast, so prequel makes yeah. sense that it would be the Norwegian camp. Uh, yep. 
and 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 we'll watch 1951's The Thing from Another World, and and maybe if we get really fancy, we'll read the original story. But I wouldn't. Oh, uh, who goes there? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll look at that and we'll we'll compare that shit to uh, this thing and and see see what happens. Uh, go to the Facebook page, uh, let us know what's up. Uh, go to the Tumblr and see what's up. Uh, yell at us on Twitter if you like. Go to iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, you know, click on the star rating. You know, write up a little blurb or something. You know, all, all these things are helpful and let us know you're out there and having a good time. Oh, and I just wanted to mention. Um, so one of our people and regular participants on our Facebook page, um, whose name I'm totally spacing on. Give me two seconds. Shit. Um, where are you? This was the person who who suggested we that you know we listen to the commentary, and I did, and I you know that I enjoyed that very much. Um, but now I'm just totally spacing on her name. Oh God! Yeah, why? Why are we bad with names? We should be better at names. Yeah, should be Emily can... Stevens. Um, I, I, you know, I'm friends with her on Facebook, and she just found out that she is going to be a free one of the freelance picks for the AV Club for writing about um, movie or television. I, I don't, I forget which. So I just wanted to, hey, congratulations on on getting that the thing about getting paid where you talk about movies and get paid for it. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> It's it's the way to be. Um. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, right. Facebook, uh, Tumblr, yeah. uh, iTunes. Review us. Um, Prove to us that you're actually you and not uh, not an alien imposter. Yeah. There's a bunch of really great reviews on there. Read those reviews. Or actually, some of them are entertaining. Uh, I just invest your life in 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 our in our little in our yes. little endeavor here. Um, yes. This podcast could be your life. Um, <laughs> and I think that's it. So we'll yep, we'll, we'll we'll see y'all uh, in a couple of weeks with uh, even more thinging. Yep. Peace out, folks. <laughs> <laughs>